Hello and welcome to Stump Death and Taxes. I'm Meep, also known as Mary Pat Campbell. I'm a life actuary, and this is my third and I've decided final uh, episode on this issue with regards to Harvard and Claudine Gay and academia and issues because I want to get back to my first love, which is death and taxes. Um, I, well, I have had an interest in education for a long while, and I will actually be reading from something I wrote back in 2007 today. Uh, so that gives you an idea of how long I've been thinking about these things, actually longer than that. Um, as I did in one of the earlier episodes where I wrote something in 2000, but let me explain what I'm talking about today, which is education versus credentialism. And this is one of the sidelines that came out of the after, I believe it was after Claudine Gay was pushed out of being president of Harvard, people were going after the various you know, individuals that were involved in getting her pushed out, which had to do with her plagiarism in her published research papers. And one of those people is Christopher Rufo. And uh, <laughs> so some people were looking for dirt on the prominent people who were pushing the plagiarism story in the media. And so Chris Rufo is one of them. Uh, so a Harvard professor thought it was a good idea to point out an issue with one of Rufo's credentials. So this is Jennifer Hochschild, and I'm probably mispronouncing her last name, and nor do I care. So on Rufo, what do integrity police say about his claim to have a master's degree from Harvard, which is actually from the Open Enrollment Extension School? Those students are great, I teach them, but they are not the same as what we normally think of as Harvard graduate students. Now that was her original tweet. This is at the beginning of January. And what's amusing, there's this thing called community notes in Twitter slash X. And the community note, which is readers added context, the Harvard Extension School is a fully accredited Harvard school. Their degrees and certificates are adorned with the Harvard University insignia. Their graduates walk at university commencement and become members of the Harvard Alumni Association. And then there's a link to the Extension School page with the About page. <laughs> and of course, a lot of people were pushing back and there were things from the about page that, yes, you can call yourself a Harvard grad. Then <laughs> Jennifer Hochschild decided to continue digging her own grave. I mean, there's a whole timeline to this. So then she's going like, wait a minute, I don't get the point of all this scolding of me. Rufo is the one being a snob by obfuscating exactly which Harvard unit his master's degree comes from. If he were proud of it, wouldn't he say so explicitly? Should your scorn be turned on him? And then an additional tweet, Rufo could have proudly and honorably said, I pulled myself up by bootstraps to prove it. I have master's degree from Harvard Extension School, along with other smart and gutsy students. Instead, he used weasel words to try to attach himself to Ivy status and prestige insecurity. Now, uh, Rufo did actually say and push back to things that Hochschild 
uh, said and said, you know, when I give talks, I do mention I got it from the Harvard Extension School. However, you know, language from the Extension School itself says, yeah, you can say, you know, you're part of the Harvard Alumni Association. Yes, you can say you have a degree from Harvard. You know, we don't get you know, when someone gets an undergraduate degree, you don't write down like, oh, yeah, my degree is from Harvard College of Arts and Sciences or whatever their colleges are. I do not give a shit. Um, <laughs> you know, you can tell I care. Uh, for example, I went to the North Carolina uh, um, State University. And it has colleges like all universities. And if you don't understand how universities work, it's they're a university because they are made of multiple colleges. And I went to the College of Physical and Mathematical Sciences, which was later merged with, um, I think, the College of Life Sciences later. It's now the College of Science at NCSU. Um, but when, you know, you looked at my resume or you look at my LinkedIn profile, I don't say I went to physical and mathematical sciences. It just says NCSU, you know, that I got my undergraduate degrees and I have two of them from NCSU. Go state. Uh, so, no, you know, we don't get that persnickety. In any case, you know, uh, people knew what they were doing when poking at Hawk Child. Uh, with regards to this, because she was digging her grave and she really didn't understand the grave she was digging. And a lot of what I call brand name universities do have what I call cash cow master's programs. And they do tend to be master's programs. They're professional master's programs. Uh, NYU has it. Columbia has it. Uh, you know, actually a lot of universities have these things intended for people. I mean, whether or not they have bachelor's uh, degrees. Um, and a lot of times they don't require that you have an undergraduate degree to uh, come into these programs. A lot of times the prerequisites for these master's programs are minimal. Um, there will be coursework. Uh, you might have to write a thesis. A lot of times it's not the case. It's a, like a night school and it's intended for people who are working full time usually. So there'll be night and weekend classes. A lot of times there's a remote component. Um, and a lot of MBA programs, by the way, are done this way. They're not full-time MBA programs, but part-time MBA programs are like this. So there's a lot <laughs> of things like this, and it's a great profit center for many universities. Now, to the extent that the credential has value, um, you know, a lot of times it is kind of taking some of the reflected shine from the prestige other degrees from that institution has. However, people who have, uh, you know, prestige from other parts of the institution do get prickly about it. And part of the thing that they can't admit is that there's actually nothing special about the education, but that the value of the credential is coming from the selection of the students and the selectivity of the students more than the quality of the education and a certification of what you know. 
that they actually almost all of the value is coming from we have certified you that we selected you as a particularly smart person more than we have certified you that you know certain things and they really didn't want to lift the covers on that one so uh you know there was a kind of as someone said um you know kind of like a hostage uh statement situation uh that came out of um you know they, they that she had to walk this back hawk child but let me say what um chris rufo had to say about the situation um amazing the harvard professor who trashed harvard extension school is now furiously walking it back declaring that hes is absolutely part of harvard that its classes are often the same as those in the more prestigious faculties and that its degrees are full harvard degrees and when you read <laughs> what she had to say so let me um look at this statement so this was the tweet she had to do. And this was January 12th, 2024. I was asked to clarify and I'm glad to do so. HES courses are Harvard U courses, often the same as an FAS. As for my courses, HES bachelor's and master's degrees are Harvard U degrees. HES is a school in Harvard U analogous to other schools. HES students are Harvard U students. That really reads as a tweet as composed by a lawyer that, you know, she was kind of forced <laughs> to, uh, uh, you know, forced to write. Uh, Chris Rufo also was like, Chris Rufo didn't have to win this hard. He was uh, clipping this from the free press. Um, Chris Rufo is the winner, not because he worked to get gay fired, which he did. That's Claudine Gay. No, Chris Rufo wins because he makes his enemies look like fools. Facing off against him, journalists and academics seem to short circuit. They abandon all their stated values. As Rufo put it, the funniest outcome of the Claudine Gay saga is all of the academics coming out in defense of plagiarism and all of the journalists coming out against journalism. Refer back to the Associated Press headline, our supposed wire service, the least biased, and rest assured, this was the take from every single mainstream publication. CNN's Matt Egan said live on TV, we should note that Claudine Gay has not been accused of stealing anyone's ideas in any of her writing. She has been accused of sort of more like copying other people's writings without attribution. Remember alternative facts? Smart adults break down in spasms against Rufo and do the most bizarre things. If Rufo says those are cute kids, the Brooklyn parent will say, I hate my kids, they're going to an orphanage. If Rufo says Barbie is a good movie, there will be terrorist attacks at Portland Barbie screenings. Chris Rufo has won so hard people are willing to say they believe literally nothing and disavow their professions. I can only dream of having this effect one day. Um, so, you know, this is just amazing to me. It was so clearly a trap and what the trap was and that <laughs> she couldn't see it and so many others because she was just the most prominent person being on Harvard faculty. And I think she was the only Harvard faculty to be so stupid. Uh, there were plenty of Harvard grads, uh, whether undergrad or, you know, from the Harvard Business School or Harvard Law, you know, the prestigious 
um, <laughs> degrees that stepped in it, um, who did not realize what they were saying. In the case of the degree holders, they did know. They knew what the issue was, is that the education at Harvard really isn't all that special, frankly. A lot of universities have education just as good, and that is why I tell a lot of, student, of students that, uh, you know, going to a large state school or even, you know, a small liberal arts college, you can get very high quality education. Uh, you know, you didn't get into your dream school. Well, why was it your dream school? Was it because of that quote brand name? But you may have gotten into a lot of debt and what is going to be the return for you? In many cases, um, you know, what the return for you may be, you know, very less than depending on who you are. That Harvard degree, yeah, that might be really required if you want to be a clerk on the Supreme Court. Not going to lie. Uh, for certain very, very specific jobs, the elite degree has become basically necessary but not sufficient. However, for the vast majority of life paths, going to a solid university, university, um, you might have less competition, which was my experience, for all sorts of things to do. Um, so I, I, you know, I keep mentioning North Carolina State University, and I got to teach calculus. I got to, as an undergraduate, so that was fun. I got to do research projects, and I mentioned, you know, the research paper that I have my name on that was officially published in a peer-reviewed research journal. That was something I did as an undergraduate in the physics department, so I got to be a research assistant. Uh, the experience at NCSU because of, and I really, my most, <laughs> most elite educational institution I went to was the North Carolina School of Science and Math, which selects from the entire state of North Carolina. I'm very happy to hear that they, they pull, um, from, you know, they do pull from the entire state of North Carolina. And yeah, they do have quotas and they do try to balance it by having the quotas by congressional district so that it is fairly selected and that you don't oversample from like Charlotte and Raleigh, which are, you know, the, you're going to have richer areas and poorer areas and have it appropriate for the areas, but they also opened a second campus. So now there's more students going there, but even after I was at NCSSM, they had distance learning and we weren't snotty about uh, the students who were doing the distance learning with NCSSM. We knew, those of us who were at the school, knew that there had been a waiting list that was about as long as the um, school um you know, the school population itself, who are, itself, who are just as good as those of us who were there, uh, because a lot of people, and, and part of the reason it was that way is this is a boarding school, and a lot of people would drop out at the beginning because they just really couldn't stand being away from home, and would, or it was really intense being at NCSSM. It, the education there was of a different nature, entirely uh, compared to 
uh, even magnet schools uh, that you normally see in high school. Uh, very, very different. And also a lot of people at that age, it's, it's you know, at that age when you're 16 and some of them were 15, uh, really could not uh, handle it emotionally. So it made sense. Uh, a lot of people you would never know. I still don't know uh, among the people I knew who came in from the wait list versus those of us who got in on the first try, you know, we, you know, we didn't know. We did not have class ranking, by the way, and we were not given GPAs at the time, though I think they do uh, at least give GPAs now because of the way college uh, admissions are. In any case, um, the... Uh, that school, as I said, is the most elite I've ever been to, and it does have network effects. It had an education, and, and I do believe in elite education, but it needs to be actually elite. <laughs> um, and it's not just a matter of selection effects. And this is where I'm getting to education versus credentialism. So what's a credential versus what is education? The credential is like a piece of paper. It's a badge to indicate, you know, you know certain things or you have certain skills. And my, I shouldn't say my idea, but I think that should be separate, should be separated from the education portion. So those providing the education should not be the ones who are certifying that you know it. And you may think this is odd uh, because that's not how we do university degrees, obviously, but that is how we do professional certifications if you think about it, such as CPA, CFA, and then of course I have actuarial credentials and we take actuarial exams in a huge portion of the credentialing for actuaries that's separate from how you learned it they don't care how you got the information you you are certified that you know it um, through these exams that are graded separate <laughs> you know from the people who taught you that information and a lot of times who taught it to you is yourself in terms you read the materials and then you are tested on its application, you know application, you know it or you don't. Um, so I do like that approach. And when I graded actuarial exams, you know, I wasn't so depressed grading exams and seeing, well, geez, you know, a lot of people just didn't get the question at all or didn't understand this concept at all, didn't make me depressed or they got it and that was good. Sometimes you might read something, you're like, mm, maybe we did not write this question very clearly. Sometimes if you saw a common misinterpretation, but that didn't happen too often. And I did see uh, improvement in the process in building the exam. So I felt uh, really good about that process. And you see this with CPA exams. You see this with CFA exams. The legal profession has the bar exams. The medical profession has the boards. And you'll see that even with law and medicine, where they have law school and, med and medical school, they have a certification that is separate from the universities that are providing the education. So note that distinction of a certification separate from the education of the knowledge and the skills. Part of this is also because, especially in a career, 
you're going to have to, and a lot of us have continuing professional education requirements, though we're not necessarily recertified. <laughs> though every so often I do hear grum grumblings, rumblings, whatever, in the actuarial sphere with regards to recertification. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to be popular, um, though, for certain things such as uh, signing the annual statement, there are there is something very specific for valuation actuaries on that one or appointed actuaries, I should say. Um, um, and that seems reasonable. Uh, but for like generic actuaries like me, I mean, I'm not even really doing actuarial work. Uh, with regards to my professional sphere, I am actuarial adjacent in the work I do in insurance research, but I am not, you know, doing valuation. I'm not setting reserves for lines of business and life insurance. I am helping people interpret what is going on in financial statements, but that is not the same thing. I'm not opining officially on the solvency of various insurance companies, for instance. So, um, you know, that's something to think about. But uh, the problem we're seeing, of course, are things such as undergraduate degrees in terms of that certification. And the argument here with regards to the master's degrees that Harvard, that Harvard Extension School is putting out versus say an undergraduate degree or other, you know, like the MBA. Oh, MBA is, oh, 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 oh I've got a story about the MBA. And uh, let me go seek out the article I wrote that caused me a lot of problem, a lot of problems in a particular interview. So the name of this article is Get Your Personal MBA. And, um, and I actually wrote this one, get your personal MBA as a follow-up to stop paying for business education. Um, so get your personal MBA was from July, 2009 and stop paying for business education was from October, 2008. And both were written for the newsletter called the stepping stone, which is for what's now called the leadership, uh, section in uh, newsletter in the Society of Actuaries. And I think it was, um, actually it's like management and personal development section was back then. And the concept was this, I mean, after I dropped out of graduate school in 2002, I'm like, I am never doing formal schooling again. Does not mean I'm stopping my education. I have never, ever stopped learning. Um, I've always loved <laughs> learning. Um, it's, it's a continuous process. However, I was tired of sitting in classrooms, getting graded, et cetera, et cetera. I love to teach. That's actually a huge way I learn is by teaching. Um, but the way I, my main mode of learning, of course, is I go seek what I want to learn. A lot of the times I do learn from books, but I learn from podcasts. I do learn via uh, great courses or what is now called Wondrium. Um, and, you know, lots of stuff there is great. But I came across a guy who had a website called Personal MBA. So the concept is this. Uh, 
This is the manifesto that comes from Personal MBA. MBA programs don't have a monopoly on advanced business knowledge. You can teach yourself everything you need to know uh, to succeed in life and at work. The Personal MBA features the very best business books available based on thousands of hours of research. So skip B-School and the $100,000 loan. You can get a world-class business education simply by reading these books. That's the manifesto of Personal MBA, or was back in uh, 2009. He may have changed it. I'm not, not going to worry about it. Uh, so the concept revolves around a book list, though perhaps now he has a podcast, not just a book list. I, you know, I will go look it up. I just, obviously I didn't do the research right now because uh, I don't care because this, this story is about these two particular articles and this article in particular. I was interviewing at a company and I believe, given my experience, I was brought in for this interview just so this particular interviewer could harangue me about this article I wrote. Because this particular interviewer had just gotten an MBA at a prestigious uh, school. No, not Harvard, but it was a very good business school for people in finance particularly. And, you know, was very proud of this accomplishment. Now, mind you, I am not knocking getting an MBA. There are very good reasons to get an MBA, to like uh, switch a field, to provide credibility, you know, especially if you are switching, trying to switch from, say, insurance to banking or insurance to anything outside of finance, for example. Um, and I've seen someone who got an MBA who was uh, trying to switch from your traditional back office type of um, position to doing startup, starting an insurance company and to get some credibility with the people who would be financing the operation. Makes sense to me. Nothing wrong with this. Um, that said, Sometimes people say that they're going to get the MBA because they want to learn certain business information. If, and if all you want is essentially the education and not like a whole bunch of the auxiliary stuff that comes with an MBA, with like the social network, the network to the companies, um, there's all sorts of other things that come along with the MBA. And if you don't want all those other things and you just want the knowledge and the skills there's a lot cheaper ways to do that. And that was my point. Um, so this person kind of totally missed my point there. Um, and so generally, I just want the knowledge and skills. I don't need the status. I don't need the network. I, I, you know, I've built that a different way. I'm doing something different. I have different goals from trying to be a CEO. I'm having different goals from being a chief actuary. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do other things. I just need the knowledge. And given that I just need the knowledge, I can do it through books and podcasts and that kind of thing. I, I cannot spend the time and money on, definitely not on a full-time MBA program. And a part-time MBA is still iffy for somebody like me. Now at my age, I don't need it at any, you know, I don't need it. Thank you somebody else do this. If, but if you're like 30 years old and you're trying to do a big step up, makes sense to me. I know a lot of people have taken that step. Um, so there are reasons to get the credential, 
but you need to do a cost-benefit analysis for you if you're doing it. Chris Rufo, I understand that's when he did his Harvard, I don't think he was doing it to like discredit <laughs> um, political enemies, you know, years in advance when he did his master's at Harvard Extension School. But boy, howdy, <laughs> did that pay off for him. Um, so that was the concept <laughs> that I wrote in 2009. Um, I like giving people informational and educational sources that are free and all it takes is your time and effort to get the information because that's mainly what I need and want. That's not what everybody needs and wants. Some people do need that structured school environment and that's okay. There is nothing wrong with that. And you do get other things out of part-time MBA programs and full-time MBA programs. Um, there is nothing wrong with that. And I'm not sneering at students of either one. And that is going to move me to my next bit. So this is a piece I wrote way back in January 2007, so 17 years ago. Charles Murray had written some op-eds in the Wall Street Journal, and it did relate to elite education. And I extracted, uh, you know, some points out of his op-eds. I may have even written a letter to the editor, but I don't think any of them ran. Usually they only would run my very snot snottiest uh, letters to the editor at the Wall Street Journal. Um, and I stopped doing it after a while because I was not interested in that. Uh, and then I mainly just wrote whatever I had to say about what was in the Wall Street Journal on my own blogs and, uh, you know, went from there. So I mentioned some important les lessons that I thought with regards to teaching wisdom. Um, so he had some important lessons and I extracted some of them that Murray mentioned explicitly. Some of them I think were implicitly in what he had to write in terms of wisdom teaching. So one, smart people did nothing to merit their intelligence. Two, being smart does not mean you're better than other people. I mean, you might be better at academic stuff, but in terms of, you know, what you're worth inherently. Uh, three, one needs to have some humility over one's intellectual abilities. And that actually has to do with what you can achieve, not that you're smarter than somebody else. Uh, number four, one needs to appreciate the work done by others. That's the thing. <laughs> a lot of these are were forgotten by Professor Huxchild. Uh, five, to excel in anything, you have to work really hard. Okay, I don't need to do number five. I think people know that. I don't even need to mention number one. Smart people did nothing to merit their intelligence. And by intelligence, I just mean how easy certain things come to them in terms of academic. And that can be true of any facility with any skill, you know, like you have have ability with sports or ability with music or something like that. Certain things people will pick up faster than others and actually be able to achieve. Hi, you know, I'm never going to be very fast in running, for example, ever. Uh, I was always the last person, even with training, uh, you know, in terms of running, uh, that kind of thing. But let me let me do the ones that had to do with attitude uh, that Hawkschild just 
evidently did not understand that she did not know how she was coming across. Um, so number two, being smart does not mean you're better than other people. And this is one of those humility things. And it has to do with wisdom as well. So just because you're smarter doesn't mean you're better than other people. So I did mention this new money versus old money. So let's think about new money. Uh, these are people who have, through their own efforts, attained wealth. Unfortunately, this often has a bad side effect of wanting to flaunt their supposed superiority over the hoi polloi, which has some real bad political effects. Um, people are mistaking wealth for value. And if you don't know what I mean by that, sorry, can't help you. Yes, it's nice for you that you made a lot of money, but money is not the measure of a man. And if you smear it in other people's faces, especially when said people outnumber you, prepare for the politics of envy. Then there are the intellectual snobs, where those who achieve tenure at a top university look down on their past confreres who are running businesses. Again, the amount of brain power that goes into a job is not a measure of how useful it is to the rest of society. The short bit is that all people want a certain level of respect for who they are and what they do. Often, those of higher intelligence who go in for jobs as engineers or lawyers sneer at those who build houses or take care of small children. This one is tough about teaching people that being smart doesn't mean that you're better than other people because a child's world is often centered at school where teachers will laud the smart kids. Well, sometimes they do. And you've got adults always telling you how great you are. Again, that's not always true. This is not a good lesson for character building. Let's look at where this shows up in item three. So item three has to do with intellectual humility. This is a tough lesson for everybody, but the average kid will run into plenty to be humble about, especially in school. However, if you're really smart, it can be too easy to wow your parents and teachers and never get the intellectual ass kicking you truly need. This comes to my every child's ass left unkicked. Um, and that, and I mean intellectually, not physically, literally. Now, this is something I've seen at close range because I've dealt with very smart kids who have never met anybody than them at their preferred, better than them at their preferred academic subject, especially adults, and are taken aback when they run into peers who are actually better or run into teachers who know quite a bit more than they do. And so I've seen this in two contexts, uh, math camp, where I was faculty and in CSSM, where I was a student. It was interesting to see kids who had always been at the top find out they were in the middle or even at the bottom of the pecking order. For some, it was a huge shock, but for others, it was a cause for relaxation and happiness. You mean I'm not a lone freak? Hooray, you know, and then you get to have fun. But still, there are people who will still be at the tippy top, and so they're not gonna run into this problem of not being at the top and just be reinforced in their superiority in their preferred field. True humility does not mean having a gauge of how one stacks up against other people, but how one stacks up against reality. In a religious context, it means realizing that you are finite in understanding and knowledge, whereas God is infinite. Basically, you are not God. <laughs> that, that is humility. Uh, in practical terms, it means no matter how smart you are, you can be very wrong. 
in your ideas and be very far off from reality. So this is the beauty of the foundation of science, possibility that your theories are wrong, no matter how beautiful a system you've concocted. Unfortunately, too many scientists in actual practice forget that bit, but the scientific community as a whole has no problem with the concept of falsifiability for the foundation of science. Um, and I'm jumping out of what I wrote in 2007 and just remind you, I wrote this in 2007. Sure, one can entertain non-falsifiable theories, but they're not science. I'm just going to jump over other crap in the middle. So I really enjoyed being a student at NCSM because it was the first real time in school. I had the possibility of being wrong about something being asked in class. Uh, so this was mainly in physics class, which was totally new. Uh, a lot of stuff in schools I were in before I had already taught myself out of books, especially math. Um, and so I usually kept my mouth shut in classes, uh, not at NCSSM, but at other schools, just because um, I knew I was right. So what was the point in answering? Uh, and usually the teachers did know not to ask me unless they wanted the answer. Um, so give the other students a chance. Um, I had stopped answering questions my old schools, and that's what it said, because I knew the answer and I knew what I was right. What was the point in participating in class? Uh, let's those who are unsure answer. And then um, my main point, and this is what Hochschild and others who were jumping into it just forgot, and this is basically respecting the dignity of others. Um, this was item number four. One needs to appreciate the work done by others. This goes back to number two, um, which was, you know, you're not better just because you're intellectually smarter. It needs to be more explicitly stated. There is dignity to work and people would like to have that dignity recognized. Do not be snarky about the garbage men or the secretaries. You should be even more deferent if these people are doing jobs that you don't want to do. Um, so there is uh, a book that of Dickens that is my second most favorite book, Martin Chuzzlewit. And this is my favorite scene from Martin Chuzzlewit. Uh, where Tom Pinch, who is the real hero of the book, um, visits his sister Ruth at the home where she is a governess. First, he notes the doorman, or whatever, is snarky about his sister Ruth. Then he notes his sister in tears when he's put into her presence, after which the mother and daughter of the house enter with complaints as to the daughter's total disrespect of Ruth. Mind you, Ruth isn't the one complaining about this. The mother is complaining about it. The daughter had called Ruth a beggarly thing, and the mother thought this was low behavior, and it was. Of course, during the mother's speech, her total contempt for the position of governess shines through. Oh, sorry, the father is involved in this too. The father, by the way, is new money being in the metal processing industry. Obviously, he has hired a full retinue of servants and treats all of the servants with contempt. Tom, after his break with his old employer Pecksniff, Seth Pecksniff, bringing him, and Pecksniff is the villain of the novel, bringing him further perspective on life, responds to this treatment in righteous indignation. This is what Tom has to say as he's taking his sister from the house. I speak without passion, but with extreme indignation and contempt 
for such a course of treatment and for all who practice it, said Tom. Why, how can you, as an honest gentleman, profess displeasure or surprise at your daughter telling my sister that she is something beggarly and humble when you are forever telling her the same thing yourself in 50 plain outspeaking ways, though not in words, and when your very porter and footman make the same delicate announcement to all comers? As to your suspicion and distrust of her, even of her word, if she is not above their reach, you have no right to employ her. No right? cried the brass and copper founder. Distinctly not, Tom answered. If you imagine that the payment of an annual sum of money gives it to you, you immensely exaggerate its power and value. Your money is the least part of your bargain in such a case. You may be punctual in that to half a second on the clock and yet be bankrupt. I have nothing more to say, said Tom, much flushed and flustered now that it was over, except to crave permission to stand in your garden until my sister is ready. So this is a piece of wisdom the rich and or intellectual would do well to remember. Just because you may make more money, just because you may pay someone else to tend to your yard or take care of your children, that does not make you the better person. And just because you're on the faculty of Harvard University and you have students, some of whom came in because you have the selective process, versus some who came in because, you know, you have a second way that as long as they pay, they can get in and you have the same classes essentially. And one is certifying that, okay, we're basically certifying you came through the narrow path. And the other one is certifying, well, we take everybody and there's really no difference in actually the education, we're just certifying things in different ways. Being sneery about it, I'm sorry, Harvard did this on purpose. It's not the student's fault. And you need to be thinking about why this process exists and what the value is exactly. It's in Harvard's interest <laughs> to confuse the two and uh, if they didn't want to confuse the two, they could definitely have separated these things, but they didn't. As an individual, if you're trying to make choices for yourself, um, you know, I wouldn't use Harvard for this purpose. That's me. Uh, I would go back to my alma mater uh, in CSU. Uh, it'd probably be cheaper, but I don't need any more certificates. <laughs> I demonstrate what I know and how I know it in different ways now at my age. Um, <laughs> I usually do it by teaching it to other people. <laughs> I find that the most effective way. But others who don't understand, and if you still don't understand why Hawkschild is in the wrong here and Chris Rufo is the one laughing his ass off and everybody else is pointing and laughing at Harvard and Hawkschild, I mean, you have to understand the distinction between the education, the certification, what's being certified, and that uh, we're not really all that sold on you people being elite. And to the extent you are, you better watch your back um, and stop being snooty about it. 
because it actually doesn't make you the better people. What are you doing with your eliteness? You're being insufferable. That's what you're doing. So stop doing that. Jamie Dimon. So let me close out with what Jamie Dimon was saying just this past week. So <laughs> speaking of elite and people sneering, um, can't get more elite than Davos, Switzerland, in the World Economic Forum. Uh, Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan Chase, chairman and CEO, was on CNBC. So that's one of those, you know, channels that all the business people watch. And, you know, they're talking politics and this, that, and the other. And one of the statements in the middle, and I'm not going to go down the whole thing because I don't want to go down the politics specifically, but he just mentions kind of throw away. I wish the Democrats would think a little more carefully when they speak about MAGA. When people say MAGA, they're basically scapegoating them. And you think of Hillary and the deplorables and all of that kind of thing. And it's not just on the Democratic side. It's also um, like Mitt Romney and his like well, 46% people don't um, pay income taxes, which is true. Um, but the, it's the way you say it. it. You can say true things, uh, but it's still sneering and not saying basically your values don't matter or your ideas don't matter. You don't matter. And that's how people will actually um, interpret it. You don't matter. Forget about like specific ideas. Like, yes, there's certain ideas we will say, well, well you know, that's not worthwhile. But the way people will interpret it, like flat earthers say, um, the way people will interpret it is, oh, I don't matter. Oh, so that's what you think of me. Um, and for people in certain positions, someone like me, you know, I'm again, back office person, blah, blah, blah. I am not a politician. I don't need to get elected. I am not currently in front of a classroom. But if I am in front of a classroom, I am not going to exude the attitude, well, you guys are a bunch of idiots. Um, even when the students say stupid things. That's not going to be productive in teaching. Teachers do know this, and politicians should know this if they want to be successful. Um, but evidently, some people forget, you know, they open their mouths. We don't need to hear every dang thing that's in your brain, but also... They need some attitude adjustments and think from other people's perspectives and realize that no, you are not the center of the universe and no, it's not about you. And maybe think a little bit about what they're doing in terms of Harvard. I am sure the people who are doing their profit and loss <laughs> statements have a very clear idea of what Harvard is selling in its brand. But the faculty may not be clear on that. And actually, the students may not be clear on that. And those who are doing the profit loss statements may not want them to be clear on that, um, may want them to buy into the fantasy. So that's not my interest. I've always dreamed of kind of opening a school, but that might not be in my interest either. Um, I am interested in education. I was listening to a First Things podcast. I've been a, like, a reader of First Things since the 90s. Um, 
and they were talking about Catholic education. It was high schools, I believe, and it might be going into middle school of Catholic education and it's true education and not credentialism. It was classical liberal arts education in terms of what were the liberal arts. It's the arts and, you know, to make people free that libera, liberate. Um, and it's from obviously a Catholic perspective. So it's going to be Christ centered, but that's a very different kind of perspective versus something where you're trying to get a piece of paper that says, oh, I'm smart, I'm smart, I'm smart. Um, me, 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 me. When it's not centered on you, it's not centered on you. It's not about you. It's perhaps what can you do with this? You are pursuing the truth, not something within you, something outside of you. And that's kind of been my focus, you know, since when I've kid, it's, it's something knowledge and skills outside of me. I've not really cared so much about, um, you know, the grades and this, that, and the other, um, though, yes, I got good grades, but that's not about that. It's like, I want to know, I want to know more. Uh, and I have particular problems that I'd like solved or th things that I would like to know about, but I may never know. It's very long term. Um, the credentials are for, you know, professional reasons. So that that's for getting a foot in the door to, uh, you know, get certain jobs or get certain positions or accomplish certain goals. But I don't, you know, once you're a certain age or in a certain place, then the way you progress are not those credentials. It's other things you've accomplished to continue accomplishing. Nobody cares where, you know, what degrees I have at this point, you know, it's what have I done lately? Nobody cares what I did 20, 30 years ago. People want to know what I did last year. Um, so <laughs> that's a, that's a perspective people need to think about as your students. Um, 20 years after you graduate, nobody should be caring where you got that degree from. So that's something to think about. That's been Stump, Death and Taxes, and I'll be getting back to death soon enough. <laughs> Talk to y'all later.